In the past four months, Klai Yisrael has suffered, <clears throat> sustained terrible, terrible blows. Things that are Pasha Shalaika Derechateva. If just one life would have been taken in a tragic way, that would have been way too much. But for some reason, our brothers and sisters are being taken from us in large numbers, in very strange, strange ways. by the cover of terrible, terrible stampede which took the lives of 45 Kedoshim 150 people injured and then in Givat Zev in the Karlin Stalin Beis Medrash, a brand new Beis Medrash The bleachers collapsed, and who can forget that video? Three people killed, 183 people injured. And of course, just a few weeks ago, the terrible tragedy in Surfside, Miami. An entire building collapses in a way that uh, is really unthinkable. Most of the building or a large part of the building was, of course, hidden. Over 140 people were killed. And when we see these tragedies piling up, we have to connect the dots a little bit. We have to do tshuva a lot. We have to try to understand as as little as we can, at least, of what does the Rabbi Nishan want from us? What is the message that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sending us? After a year and a half of Corona, which took countless, countless people, hundreds of from people, thousands of Yidin, and millions of, of, of human beings all around the world, and if that wasn't a wake-up call, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is tightening the noose, as it were, trying to make us realize that there's a message that's being sent. And I'm not one of those people that claim in any which way to know why HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends any messages. For that you have to go to B'dayle Tairan. We'd have Nevi'im, you would go to them. And the message that we have to take from all of these incidents is that they're not incidents, they are not coincidental, they're messages for us. <clears throat> and it's incumbent upon us, each and every one of us, to do tshuva for things that only we know about. To start saying that it's because of this reason or that reason would be, it would be missing the point, it would be untrue, it would be, it would be minimizing the entire message that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would want to send to us.
But at the same time, we're left wondering, is there any message personally that we could take? I was speaking a few weeks ago to somebody that I look up to. To be honest with you, I don't even remember who it was. I just know that I look up to him. May have been a her, I don't know. But it was somebody that, uh, that told me something and it resonated. And again, this is not, please do not misunderstand whatever I'm saying is not in any way reflective on the people that were killed. Those people died in, 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 in ways that are, uh, that are ma'irik, al Yisrael, tachuvan, they are, they have the status, no doubt, of kedashim and ta'irim, and this is not in any way, and please do not ever accuse me of, of, of chas it's just something that, a pattern that we could take, a message perhaps that we could take from the similarities in these three tragedies. So this person said to me, and maybe all of you are married to the same thing, that all of these tragedies have one thing in common, and that it's that one person is pressing against another person. One person is crushing another person, Rahman and that's the way they died. It's a horrific way of dying. If you think about what they must have gone through as they were dying in this terrible way, the pachad and the fear and the inability to escape. And it just sort of like made sense to me that there is something to that, that there is a common theme that we could take. That's not to say that those people that died in any way were in violation of anything. They were all foundation with iron, but what could we take in our own personal life, perhaps a message, if we're grappling for some message, for some takeaway? When the Beis HaMikdash was, was around, when our holy temple was the Binyanai. So one of the Nisim that took place, one of the constant Nisim that took place in the Mikdash, as is delineated in the Mishnah and Avis, was that Klai Yisrael were Aimdim Tzifufim O Mishtachavim Revachim. It was a miracle that the entire Chatzar, the entire Azara, was packed with people. It was very crowded in the, in, in, in the Azara. There was no room. Klai Yisrael came to do the Avedah, to hear the Kayhanim, see the Kayhanim, to get benched by the Kayhanim, to hear the Levim, the Duchanim, Levim, the Shiram, the Zimram, bring the Karbanes, to be able to be in the Makamah Mikdash. They came and they packed into a very, very tight area. But whenever it came time to do the Shachavayu, whenever it came time to bow down, whichever part of the Avaida it was, and whenever they heard the Kayhanim say certain shamus, certain words, and the call was Kayrim and Mishtachavim, the Naifim Apneim, 
all of a sudden there was space. As crowded as it was when they were standing up and they were shoulder to shoulder, you would think that when they bent down, when they bowed down, it would really become a mad, crushing scene, but it wasn't. There was plenty of space. There was revach. There was space. There was a lot of room for each individual when they bowed down. What was the reason for that nace? Why was that necessary? Obviously, it's, you know, it's more comfortable that way. It's nice to have room. So if you look in the Bartanura on the Rav, he says that there was a miracle that happened when they bowed down. Everybody was distant four Amis from each other. When Klai Yisrael prostrated, them, prostrated themselves in the Makam Mikdash, when they were down on the ground, they did a vidui. They were misvada. And they were confessing very personal things. Each person was confessing their own vidui. We know on Yom Kippur we have ten viduyim that we say, and each of them are very personal, and some people are of many other lists upon lists of other extra viduyim. Everybody has their own personal pet averis, if you will, things that they know that they were either, and you're in the Makamah Mikdash, you have an opportunity to be misvadit to the Rabbeinu Shleilam, and tell them and speak privately with him one-on-one what you did wrong. Reminds me of a, of a story that Rav Schwab used to tell, Shimon Schwab, I used to say that when he was a rob in Baltimore, before he took the position in Washington Heights as the rob of the Royer's community, so in Baltimore he was walking through the streets and he met a, a woman, a Jewish woman, who she went off the derech, she used to be part of his congregation, and, and then she, uh, she left, and he saw her coming out of the church with one of the and she, you know, she comes over to Schwab, and Schwab really didn't want to talk to her. She says, Rabbi. She says, uh, how are you? Anyway, they make small talk a little bit, and then she says, Rabbi, I want you to know I just came from something amazing that the, that the church has, and I think that we should start, us Jews could learn a thing or two from the church. They have something called confessional and you go into a private chamber and you stand uh, behind a, a lattice, behind some mechitza, uh, and you're able to actually speak to a, a galoch and be misvada, confess to your averis, what you've done. And it's something remarkable. You come out, you feel like you know, you're clean of sin, and, and uh, it's tremendous. Chai Yisrael should also adopt such a thing. Rav Schwab was not at all uh, impressed by her suggestion, he said, he says, you know something, first of all, we have such a thing, in fact, we invented such a thing. Vidoy is a Jewish invention that we can confess, but we don't confess to a galach, it's none of a galach's business, it's not a human being's business, what I'm doing wrong, what you're doing wrong. It's only between you and the Rabbi Nishlam. Vidoy is a very private, secret, 
conversation that can exist between you and the Rabbi Nisham, and that's it. And it's nobody's business. It's not a human being's business what I've done wrong. I, com- I confess I'm misvaded to the Rabbi Nisham privately. So the Bhaktanura says that that's the reason for this great miracle of Aymdim Tzufim Mushachim Ravachim. Because when I'm down on the ground and I'm confessing to the Rabbi Nisham, it's nobody's business but my own. No one should be sitting or bowing within earshot of me. When I'm saying misvadet to the Rabbi Nishlam and I'm trying to engage in a one-on-one conversation, no one can listen to that. It's secret. It's private. It's just between the two of us. And so there has to be room that Dalad Amis, every single person has Dalad Amis that they can be misvadet in privacy. Privacy is a very, very important thing in life. Every single person is entitled on the most basic level to having their things, to being able to enjoy keeping a secret to themselves, to being able to have their own space in which nobody is able to enter. I can have my own room, I can have my own drawer, my own locker, my own wallet, my own phone, my own text, my own email, nobody is allowed to look at that. It's something intensely private. And you can't look at it. It's not for anyone else to see but myself, unless I give you permission, of course. The Ramban says that the mitzvah of wearing a me'il, and the Kayin Gadol wore his special me'il, and it had the pomegranates and the bells on the bottom, on the hem. So Ramban says, what's the point of having these bells on the bottom? He says, it's not a way. You don't see royalty walking around with bells. You don't see Prince Charles with, uh, with bells, you know, as, uh, like walking around. So he says, why is it? This is the big day Malthus. What in the world are their bells doing on the coat of a, of a kind Gadol? So he says that every step that the Kayin Gadol took in the Azar, in the, in the Mikdash, in the Kaidish, every step that he took had to be Ki'ilu Birshos. You're in God's territory. The Mikdash was You don't have the right to go in unless you ask permission. You have to ring the bell. And every time the Kayin walked and the bells went off, that was like asking for permission to take another step. And then another step. I don't have the right to enter. This is your place. This is your domain. If I'm allowed to go in, it's only after I have full permission from you, Rabbi Nishlam, that I'm allowed to take, to take another entry and another entry into this sat- hallowed ground. A few weeks ago in Parashas Pollock, we learned that Bilam, of all people, started giving beautiful brachas to Klai Yisrael. And one of those brachas, of course, is something that we say every morning. How beautiful are your tents, O Yaakov. And Rashi says from the Chazal, What did Bilam see that was so impressive to him about the tents of Yaakov? 
he saw that the opening way of every tent cannot face the opening way of another tent. If my tent was open this way, then I would, when I come out of my tent, I would see a side of your tent that was closed. You're not allowed to look into my tent. I'm not allowed to look into your tent. So Pasha's people think that it's a, it's a tzniyas thing. It's a mile of tzniyas. That, you know, you shouldn't see something that's not so new on the other person's tent. I don't think that's what it is. I think that the pshat is, you're not allowed to look into anybody's things. It's a, it's a privacy issue more than a tzniyas issue. Obviously, tzniyas and, and privacy are very closely related. But it has nothing to do with tzniyas as much as it has to do with, I don't have the right to look inside of your tent. He said, when he was walking home from his shul, the grass shul in Sharif Hesed, and he'd walk to his apartment, or to his home, in Rechov Parush, he would walk in a very roundabout way. And it took him like an extra five minutes maybe, and he already was very, it was difficult for him to walk. He, was, he had a, a stroke at one point later in his life. It was very difficult, but yet he always insisted on walking in a roundabout way. And he explained to the people that asked that on the straighter path towards my home, there are windows that face the street on a very, you know, visible level. And I don't want to in any way, chas v'sham, be over any hezekriah that I should look into somebody else's living room or kitchen or bed. It's not my business. I don't have the right. The Torah doesn't give me the right to look into somebody else's geshef look into somebody else's business. You have to look into your own business. And if you pay attention to what's going on in your own life, that's where there's problem. You look at other people and constantly looking at Yenim and what's doing by them and their children, that's a terrible thing. A terrible thing. The story that's told about a, about a bus in uh, Belgium. In Belgium, the big industry always was diamonds. So there's a bursa, there's like a street in Belgium, in Antwerp, that has a lot of Yiddish stores that sold diamonds. So one of these businessmen went to his rub, and he said to the rub, I, I don't understand something. He says, maybe the rub can help me. He says, I have a big problem with Parnassum. I don't understand that I have a store on that street, and... I have a, a competitor that just opened up across the street and he's doing such good business. Everybody's going into his store and I'm not getting that business. I'm not getting that traffic. Says, so I was thinking, you know, maybe it's because his lighting is better than mine, but it's not. I checked out and my lighting is better than his. My store is much more welcoming. I know the schayr that he has isn't as good as mine because I, I checked, I made sure where his supplier was getting his garden. I know his diamonds aren't nearly as good as mine, but he's doing such good parnas and I'm not. What's the pshak? And the rub explains to me what I'm doing wrong. So Rav says, yes, I'll tell you what you're doing wrong. He says, you can mind your business, but you can't run two businesses. You're so busy running his business and your business, you can't make a parnas He's focused on his business. So you can make a parnasa that way. He's doing what he should be. He's doing, he's, he's busy, he's promoting it. He's doing, you're so busy looking at him, looking through his window constantly and, and making a shpainis about him. That's not going to work for you. You can only work on yourself. 
Today we learned about a, a place called Chatzeres. Chatzeres was a place that Miriam Anavia, Miriam, the Chais Meisha, the Aaron, she spoke Lashnara. And I was wondering why the word Chatzeres, why Daft in a place called Chatzeres? What does that have to do with her Avera of Lashnara? A Chatzer, a classical Chatzer, is something that, it's an area, like an enclosed area, and there's individual houses within that chatzar, and there's different uh, halachas pertaining to a chatzar, whether you can carry on Shabbos from one bias to another bias, we need to make an eruv. But because it's an enclosed area, it has a din of Rosh Hashayachim. But the problem with that is that because you think it's Rosh Hashayachim, now you think that you have the right to go into other people's houses and to see what other people all we're all one united Rishot, so let's, uh, let's look into Yen and what's doing by him or by her. That was Miriam's problem. That's the problem of Lashon Hara. That's in fact why we're sitting on the floor here tonight. Because of the Aver of Lashon Hara that the Muragam didn't learn from Miriam is that when you feel too comfortable and you feel it's all one Rishos and there is not the gates and the, the doors separating one another, and I can look straight into your, into your tent, and you can look straight into mine. That's when Lashon Hara begins. I think I'm a Balabas, and what's going on by you? I don't have a right to look at you and to see what's going on by you. I don't have the right to talk about you. What right do I have to talk about you? Do I know what's going on by you? Can I judge you if I don't even know what's going on by you? So what am I doing talking about you? That's chatzeris. Chatzeris is the, the root of, of all evil. Is that we think that because Kala Yisrael is like one Rishul Tayyach and we are, that gives us the right to know or think we know about everybody else, to look at everybody else, to judge everybody else, to talk about everybody else. That's not, we have no Rishul. It's something that's very private. Whatever is going on by me has to stay by me. What's going on by you has to stay by You have the right to to talk to me about your issues and I have the right to talk to you about my issues. But I don't have the right to tell other people what you told me, nor do you have the right to tell other people what I told you. And unless you give me rishos, I can't even talk to, to myself about it. Like it's not shy. I, I, have to, I have to respect your privacy. I have to respect your space. The great Rabbi Trent well, a book was written about about a year ago called Just Love Them. He was a, a master mechanic, world famous, with nothing but love and without any judgment on anyone else. Very successful mechanic and Rosh Hashiva at the end. So when he was a Rebbe in Adelphia, certain Yeshiva in New Jersey, so he had like, the, the boys in the yeshiva were a little bit, maybe we'd call them today, at risk. And he came into a room, into a dorm room, and he didn't knock. And he saw in the room that one of the boys was smoking. And he was very against boys smoking. This is going back, you know, 20, 30 years ago when they were still, it was still sort of done, but he was, a, he was very knocked that yeshiva bakram shouldn't be smoking. And 
So the boys were like just waiting to see what he would say, that he found the boy in the room smoking, a buffer in Yeshiva smoking, and they knew that he had warned them a hundred times not to smoke. And he said to them, he says, you know, I just realized that I walked into your room without permission. I didn't knock, I didn't tell who I was before I came in. That's a terrible thing to do, and please forgive me, I, I apologize. And he, as he came in, he, came, he left, and he never mentioned a word to that buffer about what he saw. There has to be a maintenance of distance. As much as we feel close to one another, Baruch Hashem, that's a good thing. But at the same time, we have to always make sure to maintain each, a, a certain distance to allow each person to thrive and to keep their own space and their own secrets and their own, and their own personal life to them. And to talk about somebody else or to think about somebody else or to, 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 to look into somebody else's business is a terrible, terrible thing. I'm going to tell a story about Rishlam Azaman that I've told many times, and I don't know if you've heard me say it, but a lot of people when I say it afterwards come over and say, you shouldn't really say that story, it's not, not appropriate. And you'll be the judge if it's appropriate, and I think it's entirely appropriate. When I was learning in Yeshiva's called Torah by Rishlam Azaman, so a friend of mine had a certain job. The end of Shir every day, it's a job that I actually yarshim from him the next month. This is a very good friend of mine. At the end of Shir, Shlomo Zaman would give my friend the keys to his office and his notes, like uh, his machperet with his chidushim in it. And my friend would take it and then run to the other side of the yeshiva, the other part of like the chest, which was the yeshiva, go into his office put the machberet down on the Rashiva's desk, and then bring him his hat and run back and give it to him so he could go straight to the Ismedish for Mincha. That was the job. So one day after Shir was over, Shemizalman, my friend came over to him. Shemizalman instinctively put his hand in his pocket to fish out his keys for the office, but he wasn't able to find his keys. And he looked in one pocket and it wasn't there, and the other pocket wasn't there. He couldn't find it. He was getting a little nervous because I think it was his house key also, and it was his office key at Kulay. So he was looking. So, so my friend said, you know, don't worry, maybe it's probably in the Rashiva's office. Probably the Rashiva left it in the office. So my friend ran to the other side of the building. The office door was open. And he looked high and low for the Rashiva's keys. He looked in his, in, in, uh, on the desk, and it wasn't on the desk. He looked on the chair, it wasn't on the chair. He looked on the floor, it wasn't on the floor. And he was like, hey, what am I going to tell? How am I going to go back to Shlomo Zalman? So he saw that Shlomo Zalman's coat was hanging on a, on, a, on a coat rack in the corner of the room. He said, I don't know, maybe he left it in his, in his coat pocket. So my friend put his hands in, in, in Rashiva's coat pocket and he, sure enough, the keys were there. And he was so happy, he was going to make Rashiva Zalman so happy. So he took it and he ran and, you know, those marble, marble floors in Kaltaira and he slid all the way, you know, on the floor 
writer from Azamah with a big smile on his face says, Rabbi, I found the keys. Azamah said, Hashem, where were they? Were they on my desk? And a chair, and on a chair, and the floor. So where were they? Where did you find my keys? Because they were in Rashiva's coat pocket. When Zalman turned beet red, and he looked at him, and the his signature smile disappeared from his face. And he said, wait a minute. You put your hand in my coat pocket. You took your hand and you put it in my coat pocket. My friend was like all of a sudden realizing what was going on. He told me if I could have a, if I'd have a shovel there, I would dig my own grave right then and there. He tell me, when you were in my coat pocket, did you take my wallet also? People say you shouldn't tell that story about Rav Shlomo Zalman Erevach because, you know, you don't want to ruin the image. The grand father of Rav Shlomo Zalman, the Gadar, which he was, the vice Gadar. And I think this is the most glorious story of all because he was being a rabbi. He was being a Meridera. He was teaching not just my friend, but me. And not just me, but all of you now. Esaderech Asher the proper way to be in life, to respect other people's private space. And the dar that we're living in, it's so easy to violate other people's space. Besides for looking in other people's lockers and drawers and, and wallets and, and medicine cabinets and, and all of those, those are the old-fashioned ways of doing things. Today you don't need to do that. You can just go on your computer, go on your smartphone, and Google somebody's name. I'm telling you, I know somebody is a Talmud of mine. I was very close with him. And I used to read him Shidduchim. And he was a master at Googling everything about somebody. If you could, you know, if you could find just the basic Rashi Prakim about a person through Google, he was mamish able to find out every single thing. I don't know how he did it. But this is going back many years. It was a half year before the term was even created, I guess. And he would come back to me and say, I don't want to go out with her. I said, why not? Well, I found out that you know, her father has a very big mortgage on his, on his home and that his, uh, his, her great uncle uh, you know, had this problem in, uh, you know, with this. And I said, what gives you a shush to go into that degree of, of research? It's not your business. And it was a big problem. But this is something that is so common in this day and age. We feel that we have access to every single thing about everybody. Whatever I want to know about you, I could Google, I could do some searches, I could, I could pay money, I could, there's so much that I could do that I could find out about every single person that I want to find out. And I think we're all, in a certain way, guilty of this. 
And this is a terrible, terrible thing. I'm not talking about a basic search, that's fine. You know, you're arrested somebody, you want to find out if they have a criminal record, that's fine. I'm talking about like beyond, like going into places that are absolutely nobody's business. Looking at people's texts, looking at people's emails, looking at people, you know, figuring out people's geschäft that you have no right to figure, it's not your business. It's not your business, it's not my business. And again, this is not negated to the actual people that were published. People that, us, that are looking at this and trying to make a chesh, I'm not saying this is why it happened, but this might be a, a good place to start a takeaway tshuva from these incidences that do have this pattern about one person falling on top of another person, one person being over another person, one people call, a person collapsing on top of another person. I need my space, you need your space. It's Aindim Tzvufim Mishtachim Revachim. We're entitled to be misvada and to do our personal things on our own. We shouldn't have to wait for the Beis HaMikdash to be rebuilt to experience this nace of every single person being able to have their own space, to have their own place in life, to do their thing and to think their thoughts and to be misvada for their private things that have nothing to do with anybody else. We should imagine in our ears on Tisha B'av the ringing bells of the, the me'il of the Kayin Gadol and how that's ki'ilu b'rshus at Balashan of Rabban. We need permission to do things in life. We can't use our eyes to look at things that we're not supposed to look at. We can't use our mouth to talk about things that have none of, they're not our business. We can't, what right do we have? If we're, even if we're living in a chaser, I can't look at somebody else. I can't speak about somebody else. And that's why we're here. Because Miriam wasn't careful to speak even about her beloved brother, Meish Rabbeinu. She had no ill will. The Chavetz Chaim goes and says how innocent the Lashon Hara of Miriam at Tzadikas was. But still it was Lashon Hara. With all the best of intentions that she may have had, it's Lashon Hara. And the Meraglam saw that and took it a step further and spoke Gibas Aretz. Atem v'chisem v'chiyashalchinam. We cried for nothing because of that Gibas Aretz and because of that we're being Baicha v'chiyya l'dayreis. Every Tishabah we're here again and again and again crying on this floor claiming that we're waiting for Mashiach but if we want Mashiach we have to make Tikkunim for him to be ready for us. And there's so many tikkunim to make. I'm just touching on one. But I think it's an important one. I think it's a start at least. We want to like try to make some meaning of what happened. And again, this is not the reason for it happening. You need a nubby for that. But there is some sort of message, I think, about these incidences that we could take as a kehila, perhaps, or as yechidim to try to really work on ourselves, each and every one of us in their own way, to be extra careful not to look or to talk or to listen about other people's business. Let them be them and let you be you and you want people to respect your Dalai you have to respect other people's Dalai And this is true if you're roommates, it's true if you're a husband and wife, it's true if you're a parent and child, you have to respect the space of somebody else.
the very difficult times that we're living through. And Klai Yisrael is being rocked from every side. You can't open up. We didn't even touch upon the anti-Semitism that we're experiencing in this Gullus that we used to enjoy and assume that it was always going to be the safest country in the world. And now we see people being stabbed in broad daylight and graffiti on farim and graffiti on shuls and, and terrible things. I mean, terrible stories. We're, we're, this is a Tishabov. If there is ever a Tishabov in recent memory, perhaps this is a Tishabov that we don't really have to like think about what we should cry about in this Tishabov because it's so apparent. Nibayis to Nibachutz, there's so much going on in Klal Yisrael, in our own communities, in our own world, in our own base Medrash, there's so much tragedy and sadness and something is wrong and we could feel it. It's not like we have to be pulled off a beach you know, and try to like, get into Tishabav mode. I think we're all very well in Tishabav mode. Thank you very much. But now Tishabav affords us this opportunity to take stock of the situation and to not just accept it, but to try to know what can I do to change. Every kindness the Ramam says is for the purpose of not just, you know, not eating. It's for the purpose of doing tshuva, of, of shaking up the status quo and saying something is wrong. And if you don't think so, says the Ramam, if you say it's all mikra, it's all coincidence, what are you making a big deal about it? Come on. One took place in Meirov, one took place in Serbside. Those are two communities on the opposite sides of the globe in any which, every which way. And start, stop trying to connect dots and try... The Ramam says if you think that way, it's achzarius. You're being cruel. Why are you being cruel? Maybe you're being foolish. Why are you being cruel? You know why you're being cruel? Because if we don't use opportunities to learn lessons, then what we're basically doing is we are ensuring that the lessons will become more and more intensified, Rahman That's Akhzarius. We have an opportunity now on this day of Tishabav to think about these things and to try to understand that things are not normal, that Akhzarius was really trying to get our attention in the most vivid ways possible. He couldn't do it any stronger than sending a worldwide pandemic. But we didn't maybe get the point that Prabhupada is now sending these pinprick operations against us. And the Gayim are looking and saying, what's going on with these Jews? Why are they dying in these weird ways, in these mass tragedies? The Gayim know that there's something off, but we don't. We're just, life is going on as usual. But that's Asarius for us to do it. And so the greatest Hataba, the greatest act of benevolence that we could do for ourselves and for the rest of Israel is to try to take a day like today and to do tshuva. It's wonderful to watch movies the whole tomorrow, every single movie. And I, when I was a kid, I was going on Tishbab was a day you, don't, you shouldn't watch movies. All of a sudden, Tishbab became a day that we watch every single movie on every, you know, not, you know, if you, if you know what I'm talking about. It's, and it's all Tishbab related, it's wonderful. But that, those are distractions, a lot of them from the main point of the Tainus. The main point of Teshubab is a day that we have to think and sit and ponder and contemplate what are we doing here? Why is there a Teshubab? Why is there a Bainish? I'm not 
rebuilding that Makkah Mikdash already. And only you know the reason that's Nagaya to you, and only I know the reason that's Nagaya to me. And you shouldn't share your reason with me, and I shouldn't share it with you. But perhaps that itself is the greatest lesson of this Kishimov. To respect each other's privacy and to look up to one another and only look at the, at the positives that other people have and never to judge them and never to look at them with a, with a slanted eye, with a crooked eye and to say, ah, I know this guy's doing that and he's doing that and he's not so from you. Don't worry about him. Worry about your own business. Look in your own store. Don't worry about him. Unless you can really help him in a certain way that he welcomes, don't worry about him. He's doing okay. You have to worry about yourself first. And I have to worry about myself. Mitzvah Hashem, if we're able to really think and take stock of what we're doing here today, why are we on the floor? Why is the base of Mikvish not being rebuilt? Why are we going through such pandemics and such tragedies that are not fathomable? It starts with us. We have to think and do tshuva. And Mitzvah Hashem, if we do tshuva tonight, and tomorrow be Nepach, Mitzvah Hashem, to a Mayim. And if the Shvartu should stand in here, be a Mayim, and the Shvartu should be a Mayim.